All right, guys, well, welcome to the first night of ABC Worship. Um, I'm going to read the passage for tonight, so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to uh, Matthew 25, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 30, and I'm going to read from the ESV translation. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you ever much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had, delivered, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you ever much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, who, for everyone who has will but more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Micah. Hey, guys, how we doing? So good to see y'all. I'm going to lower this down a little bit. Awesome. Well, cool. Hey, hope you guys have had a fantastic break. Uh, If you are new here with us tonight... Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the college pastor here, and really glad to have you all with us. And I uh, hope you have a great Christmas, had a great Christmas, great new year, and uh, welcome to 2020. Uh, the future is now, and so, uh, but we're here, and no flying cars yet, but we're working on it. Um, but we are really glad to have you guys, and we're excited about uh, the new year and all that it brings. Um, 2020 is going to be a great year. Uh, if for anything, it's the year that I become a dad. That, that'll be a great, a great thing, um, which we have a name for our son. If you didn't know, we're having a son. Um, and his name's going to be Jude. So Jude Peterson Bryant will be his name. So little Jude, you can clap if you want to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Luke, for starting that. But our little Jude dude will be here in April. So we're, we're excited about him coming. So it's going, to be, it's going to be good. It's going to change a lot of things, but it'll be a lot of fun. So, um, but yeah, so you already may have your Bible open in Matthew 25. If you don't, you can, uh, you can be there. We're going to be there tonight um, uh, looking at really this pretty powerful story that Jesus gives us. And I was kind of thinking through different things we may want to look at to begin uh, the 2020 uh, year. And I was kind of thinking through even what the Lord has been doing in my life recently in ways I've been challenged. And, you know, it is a new year. And for me, people, that involves New, year resol- new Year's resolutions. Uh, some people don't like that word. They call them goals, you know, New Year's goals or things like that. And I'll be honest, I'm not a big uh, resolutions person, not because I'm against them, just because I'm I never keep them half the time, so I just have kind of gotten away from doing that. Uh, but as I was thinking on 2019 and into 2020 and what the Lord might have, might have for me, uh, may have for our college ministry, but even me specifically, I was really challenged 
kind of in one specific way that I don't, I'm not going to call it a goal or a resolution necessarily, but I do have one, one change I want to make in the 2020 year, and that's I want to take more risks in 2020. I want to live a life of more risk in the new year. And I don't mean like YOLO kind of risk, which do people even use the word YOLO anymore? I don't know. It's so 2018, um, but or whatever, uh, 2019 maybe. But I'm not, I'm not talking about YOLO kind of risks necessarily, but I'm talking about bold faith risks, you know, where I step out in faith, you know, and, and do things and trust God to really, you know, intervene in ways in my life to where if I step out in faith and he doesn't move, then it's all going to fall apart and it's going to be a mess. But if I step out boldly trusting him that he can do great things. And that's the kind of, you know, risk that I'm, I'm hoping to live this year. And that's really the definition of what it means to, to live a risky life, right? You know, or to even just take a risk is to do something, not necessarily knowing the outcome or really even more than that is to do something, but know there's a possibility of loss. It's a possibility of embarrassment, something like that. But in my own personal life, I've kind of been convicted recently that I think I've become uh, more comfortable. I've, I've really begun to choose maybe comfort and safety even over maybe boldly walking with the Lord and, and taking risks. And as I was thinking about kind of what to share tonight with us, I kind of wanted to challenge you guys with the same idea that maybe for you in 2020, you may want to consider how God may be calling you to risk and, and what risk may look like in your life. And maybe you're like me, you're maybe tired of maybe a comfortable, a safe, easy Christianity, and you're really hungry for God to move, for God to do a big thing both in your life and, and through your life. And maybe 2020 is the year that... Uh, that happens. But really, no matter what, if you're a Christian here in this room, the truth is that you've been called by God, you've been saved by him, you've been filled with his spirit to live on mission with him, to be empowered to live boldly in the world for him. And living on mission in that way, it requires risk. It's associated with it. Um, who here has been to Lake Nickel before? You know, Lake Nickel here in town? Okay, I'm not going to make you raise your hand and say if you've jumped off the cliff there, because I'm pretty sure it's illegal. Um, <laughs> but if you've been there before, you know, Lake Nickel has like a couple of cliffs, but one's like a 40-foot kind of cliff you can jump off of, I want to say, and it's a big thing to do in Tuscaloosa, you go. And, but the thing about the cliff, and I won't tell you if I've done it or not, actually I haven't, I can say that safely, I wouldn't tell you up here if I have, because I think it's illegal, but, um, but I'm, I'm scared of heights, I can't do it. But there's a little bit of a horizontal distance that you kind of have to, you know, clear once you jump off the cliff, otherwise you're going to basically hit the ground or the shallow water, it's going to turn out really bad for you. But part of the, you know, the adventure, the excitement of it is you have to get a little bit of a running start right? To kind of boldly go off the cliff. And then it's really exciting. But the part of the excitement of like nickel and jumping off the cliff is that the reward, you know, involves risk, but, but it's worth it. Or many people would say that it's worth it. I don't know. I haven't done it. Right. But that's kind of the, the idea. Um, but I think even in living in our faith is, is, is a similar thing. So I would say the Bible makes a pretty, pretty bold case that risk is part of our faith, that living with risk really is part of living with risk for God is part of our faith. And really, I think we see in this story we're going to look at tonight that even living a safe life and avoiding risk may, may even be sin, may even be disobedience. And so we're going to look at this story and look at really three quick things tonight. But if I can say anything, it's this, is that if we, we can kind of summarize our message with this, is that in the kingdom of God, risk is right. That's what we're going to kind of call our message tonight. That in the kingdom, risk is right. So if you want to look at me in Matthew 25... We're going to look at three quick things uh, about this story and what's going on, okay? And the first one is going to be this. And so, yeah, we're good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, our wonderful Ferg staff helping us out tonight, so thank you all. Um, there we go. We can clap for them. Thank you so much. They're awesome, so helpful. Okay, first thing we want to see tonight from this story 
uh, is this that Micah so wonderfully read for us. is the reality of stewardship. Our big words. The reality of stewardship. Okay, so think about this story. There's an intense ending there, I know, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in this story, the three servants that we see were really managers, right, of the money that was given to them, of the talents that were given to them. They didn't own the stuff that was given to them, right, but this, this master gave these three servants these talents. And just to know what a talent is, a talent was like a sum of money. It was about 20 years' salary for a day laborer. So around a million dollars probably today is the amount of money that one talent was because it's worth 20 years of work. So it's around maybe a million dollars worth of work. But the money they were given, it wasn't their own, right? It was given to them by a master to be used and stewarded wisely to return a profit, right? He didn't just give it to them just to hold on to it, but he gave it to them to return a profit. So the first thing we want to see tonight in this story is that we are all managers, That we're all managers. And really the best word is probably steward, that we are someone who manages someone else's property. But if you think about the story of the Bible and just the big picture story of the Bible, we know that in the beginning of time that God created everything and that he put the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden and and he told them to fill the earth and to subdue it, to cultivate it into a beautiful place that glorifies God. And really the first thing, one of the first things we learn in the Bible and the picture the Bible gives us in terms of our relation to creation is that we're all managers, that we're all stewards, that that God is creator, so therefore he has authority. And we're managers that have been put over creation to steward it well, to glorify him. But we know in the biblical story that man chose to rebel, right? He chose to not relate to God as um, authority, as creator, but instead... He chose to look to himself as kind of self-made, as his own manager. And so now our own nature is not to kind of think of everything we've been given as, you know, a gift from God. But instead, it's for us to be selfish and think of ourselves as kind of self-made and autonomous. And to think of ourselves as manager, right? It's to claim everything we have as just kind of our own and to be very self-centered. That's our very nature that we kind of have now because of sin. But we know the story of Jesus and what this story shows us tonight is how God doesn't want us to view our things that way, our talents that way, not just our talents like our abilities, but really all of our life as gifts and blessings from God that are meant to be used to glorify him and to bless other people. So everything we have is a gift from God, including our talents and abilities, but also like our time, our money, what little money you may or may not have in this moment, um, you know, our passions, you know, maybe your career, your a major, your, um, your goals in that way. All those things have been given to you as blessings as a gift from God to be used not just for your own priorities and for your own gain, but really for the blessing of others and for the, the glory of God. So the first thing we want to see tonight is this, is you, you got to consider your life, consider your talent that you've been given and ask, number one, are you being kind of selfish in your motive and in your priorities and the way that you use the things that God has given you? You know, are you thinking mainly to just to build up your own comfort, maybe your own agenda, maybe your own life plan, or are you living with an open hand? where you realize that everything you've been given has been given to you by God and therefore is to be used for his glory to bless other people? Are you living with an open hand that way? And the beginning of the year, the beginning of the semester is a great time to think through those kind of things. As you make plans for summers and, and falls and, and years and years to come, maybe even some of you are graduating. Who's graduating this year and heading out? Do we have anyone graduating? Oh, man, we had a few of y'all. Okay, man, I always get sad when we leave y'all. But maybe even the rest of your life, you're kind of beginning to plan out trajectory-wise. So we get to ask, you know, how are you viewing those things? Because those are all gifts from God that he wants us to use to bless other people and to glorify him. But the other thing we want to see in this before we move on to the second point 
It's important note is that if you notice with the servants, notice how they both receive different amounts, right? One guy received one talent, one guy received two, one guy received five, and they use them. Uh, well, two of them did, but notice how they each receive different amounts. But you don't notice like the one servant who got two talents complaining to the master, "Hey, you gave me two talents, but you didn't give uh, you gave the other guy five. We notice there's no comparison, there's no complaining involved in that. I think that's very important to notice. Because in the story, instead of it focusing on who got more or or less, the story focuses on how each servant was faithful with what they were given, right? And I think in the end, what this shows us is in in life, it's not always about fruitfulness, but faithfulness with what God has given us. That we all have different levels of abilities. We've all been blessed in different ways. We all come with different levels of privilege in life. And the idea is this, is that it's not about fruitfulness and necessarily the amount of things but how we're being faithful with what God has given us and being thankful, thankful for those things, right? And we got to be careful not to compare our lives and constantly live with a view to someone else and see how God has blessed them, how God's using them. Even when it comes to our faith, we all have different convictions. We all have different callings in life and how we follow the Lord and how we obey him. And we can't get caught up comparing our, the way that we're following Jesus with someone else. But instead, we want to seek uh, to be faithful with what God has given us and how he's directing us because that's what we're called to is faithfulness not fruitfulness, all right? Fruitfulness will come if we're faithful, but we don't focus on the amount, but our master, all right? So that's the first thing we see. All right, then the second, two thing, or second thing we see is this, the reason for risk, all right? The reason for risk. If you go back to the story, in the story, eventually, the master returns, and he calls for his servants, and he calls them to give an account on what they did with the investment. And, you know, the first two servants, they present the master with, with double, right, of what they gave them. You know, and whenever... They present him with double. The master responds this way. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And we see there that the risk they took involved a great reward. Because you think about it, if they doubled their, the investment that was given to them, if they doubled what was allowed or you know, passed on by the master, then there probably was some risk involved in that, right? I'm not sure if they played the stock market or what they did, you know, to, to double their, you know, their money. But if they, you know, were able to double it in that kind of way, they had to risk. They probably had to have some kind of, you know, uh, possibility that they were to lose it all in the process. But they used it boldly, and there was risk involved for them to get the return that they did. Some of y'all economics and, you know, money people in here could tell us all about the possibilities for that. Um, but the idea is that they risked in order to get the reward that they did. Uh, but then the, when the third servant shows back up, he has his one million he was given, and he shows back up with nothing but that one million back, and we know what happens. The master is not very happy about it, right? He responds, you know, he says he calls the servant wicked and lazy. He, he asks him, you know, why he didn't at least put the money in, in a bank account to, uh, you know, accrue, accrue some interest. He takes away his one talent, the one million he's given, and he casts him into outer darkness, and the whole point is it's just supposed to be there's not a good ending for him, right? That we, we don't want to emulate that guy. <laughs> we don't want to be that guy is the point that Jesus is making here. Um, but I think this story is really interesting because if you think about it, the two servants are commended for taking a risk, but the one servant is condemned for playing it safe. Right? The two are commended for taking a risk, but the one servant is condemned because he played it safe. He didn't take a risk. And I think that's Jesus' point of this story is that when we play it safe in life, I think we're being disobedient to God. When our goal is safety, our goal is to play it safe. I think it's not the way that God has designed for us to live. We're being disobedient. We could even say we're possibly being sinful when we seek to just play it safe in our walk with the Lord. John Piper has a great quote 
He says this is based on a book he wrote called Risk is Right. But he said the Christian life is a call to risk. And get this. You either live with risk or waste your life. That kind of hits you in the gut. Like you either live with risk or you waste your life. And really this agrees with all the, with all the Bible. Because think about it. Think if you, about a few stories in the Bible that we see risk over and over again. Some good Sunday school stories like David and Goliath, right? David, you know, he goes to face Goliath. And unless God does something or did something... David was going to be destroyed, right? He was facing this ginormous warrior. No way he's going to win on his own. But David would rather risk death than continue to let this Philistine, you know, dishonor the name of his God. He was willing to risk. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, depending on what meme you see, okay? Um, But, you know, they had no promise from God that whenever they were thrown to the fiery furnace, they would survive, and they had that great saying where they say, you know, even if our God doesn't save us, we still won't praise your God, Nebuchadnezzar. But they had this bold faith. But they would rather risk death than disobey their God. Think about Esther, right? The story of Esther, beautiful story in the Bible. She risked her life to approach the king of Persia without being invited into his throne room, which meant she could be killed. But she would rather risk death than allow her people to be slaughtered in, in the land of Persia. And even thinking about the, probably the greatest risk taker in the Bible, the, the apostle Paul. All these risks that he took, he risked his life over and over and over again to get the gospel to people who hadn't heard it and to plant churches so that the gospel could keep spreading. His life was full of risk. And so I think the Bible really gives us really kind of two things that we see from risk that are really helpful. Is that when we risk, we reveal the urgency of our message and we reveal the security we have in Christ. That when we risk for God's glory... We reveal the urgency of our gospel mission, and we reveal the security that we have in Jesus. Because if God really has given us Christians, if he's given the church the job of getting the gospel to the world, and the only way to be saved and to know God for eternity is to respond to the gospel, then why would we not be willing to risk everything to get that life-changing message out to the world? Why would we not be willing to risk I know in my own life that the times I'm not willing to risk, and the reason I don't risk many times in life is because I'm really prioritizing more, you know, comfort, my mission of comfort and safety over the mission of the gospel. And I get my priorities flipped, and I get them uh, distorted. But secondly, think about not just the priority of the gospel, but even if our security in Christ, because if our eternity is secure in Jesus, then honestly, what do we have to lose in life? Because in the gospel, the worst things about us have been spoken They've been revealed, but yet we found that we are completely loved in Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. We're shown to be completely jacked up, completely sinful, completely broken, but yet God knows us exactly the way we are, and he loves us anyway. There's no amount of us that could be exposed that would show us unlovely. And really, honestly, the worst thing that can happen to us in life is for us to die, but yet even that is gain, as Paul would say, because it's to be with Christ. And so in that, the worst that could happen to us is we die, but yet it's really gain. And so by taking risks in God's name, we, we remind ourselves and we reveal our urgent gospel message and we reveal the identity that we have in Christ. So the question you have then is what risks are you going to take this semester? What risks are you willing to take? It could be sharing the gospel with a roommate, with a friend, with a family member, with someone in your class. There's risk involved in that. There could be some you know, relational tension. There could be some awkwardness. There could be all kinds of things that could happen. Maybe a risk for you this semester is to befriend somebody very different from you to choose to love and you really be intentional with someone very different from you. There's, there's risks involved in there. Maybe your risk is, is going to be to be vulnerable with someone, to be open about your struggles, to allow them into your life in that way. There's a lot of risks involved in that. 
Maybe your risk is going to be to maybe give up a plan for the summer that you maybe had and instead go on a mission trip to go serve in ministry somewhere. There's risk involved in that. There's sacrifice involved in that. Maybe your risk is, is maybe you feel led into ministry leadership and maybe the career you maybe had for your life. Like I had a plan to be an engineer and do all these kind of things. And then I, the Lord kind of redirected that. And it was a risk in many ways for me to kind of switch in that way. But God has showed him self to be so faithful. So maybe your risk is to follow a call to ministry. Maybe your risk is just to open up your heart to God and say, God, do what you want. That's a dangerous prayer. That's a real dangerous prayer to play, to pray, prayer to pray uh, at the beginning of a semester to say, God, take this semester, do with it what you will. There's risk there, but there's also great reward. And that's really kind of the idea of risk um, because they all can involve embarrassment and danger. But here's the thing. That's the nature of faith, right? That's kind of what faith is. Like C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I think it's on the screen. He says this. He says, the way you know you're living by faith is that what you're doing for God scares you. Is that what you're doing for God scares you. If it doesn't, there's no faith involved. Right? That's challenging. That if, we're, if, if what we're doing doesn't scare us in some way, then really there's no faith involved because faith involves trust in God and not just in our own abilities and our own plans and things like that. That's real faith. We only really exercise our faith by taking risks for God, but there's great reward in that. But in reality, no matter if you're a Christian or not, we're all risk takers. Because you think about it, not a single day of our life is guaranteed. So if we choose to waste our lives by living just, you know, uh, comfortable, safe lives and ignoring eternity, excuse me, chicken nuggets, then we're really, (laughs) sorry in that, if we choose to live our lives by safety and ignoring eternity, then really we're taking a way bigger risk in the long run. Okay, we're taking a way bigger risk because think about the servant in the parable, right? The servant in the parable lost everything because he played it safe. He lost everything because he played it safe. He valued temporary comfort and ease over eternal reward. Jesus has a great statement about this in Matthew 16. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jim Elliott, a missionary who lost his life getting the gospel to an unreached tribe in the Amazon, he kind of paraphrased this in a way that is very famous and very well known, but I love it. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain when he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So think about it. What's worse, to risk and potentially lose your life on earth or to live a risk-free life on earth but lose your soul? What's worse, to be comfortable here but lose your soul or to live a potentially risky life here on earth but gain eternity? What's more worth it? It's a question we got to ask. So the third thing we want to see tonight, and then we'll begin to wrap up, is this, is that the real motivation, the real motivation because you go back to the story again, look at the unfaithful servant. You know, why would he act the way he did? You know, what was his motivation? Like, why would he, you know, choose to make this, you know, kind of safety call that he did instead of investing and risking like the other two servants did? If you go back and look at verses 24 and 25, you'll see why. He says to his master, he says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Basically, he kind of says, hey, master, I, I, I knew you're a jerk, so <laughs> I didn't really want to invest it. You know? And Jesus is not saying this is how God is. God is not a jerk in any way. Um, he's not saying that's how God is. But the point is that the servant had a wrong and distorted view of his master, and it led him to be unfaithful. It led him to play it safe. It was that wrong view of his master 
that led to everything getting off course. And the same thing is true for us today, because your view of God will tremendously shape your faith. But it won't just shape your faith, it will also shape the trajectory of your life, including how much you're willing to risk for God. What we believe about God and how we view him is uh, foundational in our life. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, said it this way. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's a pretty bold statement. Like, the most important thing about us? Like, really? That, that, that foundational? But yeah, I would agree with that. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I would only add one bit to it. It's not just how we think about God, but it's how we think that God thinks of us. Does that make sense? Not just how we think about God, but how we think God thinks of us as well. That's very, very important. It's absolutely crucial. So think about it. What's your picture of God? You know, is, is God this kind of rule keeper in the sky holding a thunderbolt, you know, waiting to strike you down whenever you mess up and sin? Is he that kind of God? You know, is God you know, this, this, this distant and uninterested father, you know, distant and un, uninterested creator up in the heavens who's not concerned about the world's concerns at all? He kind of just, you know, set it in motion and let, lets it spin, maybe lets it burn. Is that your view of God? You know, is your view of God more like a genie that you kind of just go to him in prayer and he's supposed to give you whatever you want and make your life easy and comfortable? Because if your view of God is any of those things, that's going to lead to some really foundational problems when things get hard, when things fall apart, you know, when you need hope. Those kind of views of God are going to be way too weak to give you hope and security. But I love the way that J.D. Greer says it. He's a pastor up in North Carolina. He says this. He says, every risk in God's name begins with confidence in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. That every risk we take begins with, with a confidence in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. Because if we're going to entrust our whole lives to God, if we're going to be willing to risk things for him, we got to believe that he is good, he's trustworthy, he's loving, he's gracious, he sees us, he knows us, he loves us. He has a good plan for our lives, but his plan is for a lot more than just our safety and comfort and happiness on this world and on this earth, but really for eternal joy and happiness in him. We got to believe those kind of things. Now, there's a great story that's been told before about Alexander the Great. You may be a history buff. You may have heard this before. Great story is told to where after a lot of his wars had been fought, a general who served with Alexander the Great came to him one time and said, Alexander, so my daughter's getting married and I really would like for you to pay for the wedding if you would do that. And Alexander's like, hey, yeah, sure. You've been a great general. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pay for it. Go talk to my treasurer. He'll, he'll foot the bill. No problem. So the general goes over. He talks to um, the treasurer, and he leaves. And when he leaves, the treasurer walks up to Alexander and says, Alexander, like, do you have any idea how much money this guy's asking for? Like, if, if, you, if we granted this whole bill, then it would be like the most grandiose, crazy wedding in all of history in Greece. It would be insane. And Alexander sits there for a second, kind of thinks about it. He's like, you know what? Pay it. Pay that bill. And the treasurer's like, why? And Alexander responds, well, in asking such a crazy amount, he's really paid me two compliments. Number one, he's assumed that I'm rich enough to actually afford this wedding. And number two, he's assumed I'm generous enough to actually give him the money. So he's paid me two compliments, write the check, move on. And I, I love that story. And really it's because of this, is that if that is painted the picture of Alexander, how much more rich and generous is our God to go to him in prayer, to ask for bold things, Ask for big things, but how, how good, how rich, how generous is our God? And how willing should we be able to risk for him because of that? Because God is absolutely rich and generous. He's rich in love. He's completely loving, gracious, good, and caring. He's powerful. He's holy, and he's good. And whatever God leads us into, whatever he 
directs us in. He promises to empower us and be with us in those things. He doesn't just send us anywhere. He doesn't lead us to risk without being right there with us. Think about the Great Commission, that Jesus promises his presence and his authority to be with us to the end of the age, even in carrying out the Great Commission. So if God is rich, if he's generous, if he's good, he's faithful, then we can trust him to obey him and to walk into whatever he's calling us to risk because he's good, he's rich, he's generous. And as we conclude, we've got to ask this one last question before we wrap up. Is really, how do we know that God really is rich and generous? How do we really know he's all these things? Because we can say that because he's God, you know, kind of some fluffy thoughts and ideas. But how do we really clearly see that God really is rich and generous? I think we see it in one picture. We see it in the cross of Jesus. We see in the cross of Christ the richness and the generosity of God. Think about Romans 8.32. You know, Paul says this. He says, he who did not spare his own son... Gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. Because the truth is, we've all been unfaithful and disobedient managers. We've all been like that guy in the story. We've all rebelled against our master. We've all rebelled against God and lived however we wanted to. We've all done that. And because of that, we're all separated from God. We're separated from him and we're under the curse of sin. And unless something changes, we'll stay that way forever. And we'll die and we'll be separated from God for all of eternity. But God is so rich in love. He's so generous in grace that he sent his only son to die for us. To come and live the perfect life we could never live and die on the cross for our rebellion against him. And when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he took on our sins so we could be made new, we could be made clean, and brought back into a right relationship with God. And so if you're not a Christian here tonight, I want to ask you, you know, have you put, made a decision to follow Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you been made clean, been made new from your sin? Have you submitted to the perfect, good, rich, and generous master that is Jesus? If you haven't, we'd love to talk to you about that tonight. And we have plenty of people here who'd love to chat about that. But if you are a Christian here, because God is rich and generous, because our salvation and our identity are so secure in Christ, I want to challenge you. How are you going to risk this semester? How are you going to live boldly for Christ this semester? How are you going to display the goodness of the gospel, the identity you have in Jesus? How are you going to display the security you have in him in the way that you risk this semester? Uh, William Carey, who was, he's called the, the, sorry, he's called the, the founder of modern missions. Excuse me, I've jumbled his name. But he really kind of helped spark the modern missions movement. Guy lived a while ago. But William Carey kind of built his movement on this one phrase that I love. It's this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And on that kind of idea, William Carey was able to found the modern missions movement. Much of what we do, missions around the world today, happens through his passion and his leadership in that way. But as we close, I want to ask you that. What do you expect from God this semester? What are your expectations for the Lord for this semester? I know the spring is kind of one of the semesters you come back and you're like, all right, let's Go back to class. Let's, let's do this thing. It's syllabus day. Woohoo. Let's do this. And going back to my dorm, back to my roommates. And it kind of feels like rote kind of, and kind of feel almost, you know, just a bummer sometimes. You kind of come back to things. Um, but that's not the way we have to live when it comes to a new semester, when it comes to coming back for 2020. But we really, as Christians, have the greatest hope of anyone in the world to know that it's not just another semester. It's not just kind of, you know, something we're getting back into a routine of things. But that in 2020, God has great things he wants to do in your life. His great things he wants to do through your life. But what are your expectations for what God is going to do this year? Do you have expectations? Have you 
taken time to talk with the Lord about what he may want for you this year? Have you laid 2020 before him with open hands? Because he wants to walk with you through this year, and he wants you to come with him with your plans and with your expectations. So what do you expect from him? But also, what are you willing to attempt for God this semester? What ways can you risk? What may, maybe what ways is God burdening you to make a difference on campus, in this city, in the lives of your friends, family, roommates, whoever, coworkers? How is God leading you? What do you want to attempt for God this semester? Because if we don't expect great things from God, then really our faith may be weak and we really aren't going to attempt many great things for God. So we have to have those both hand in hand. So I want to challenge you guys this semester as we begin the 2020 spring in this year. I want to challenge you to expect big things, to pray big prayers, and attempt risky things for the Lord for his glory. Because there's a great reward in that, but we have to step out in faith to, to attempt those big things if we want to see God do great things. In this semester, for the next four to six weeks, um, we're going to start walking through a series called A Missional Life. We're going to talk for the next couple of weeks about what it means to live on mission, how our God is a missional God, how really the central theme, if you could sum up the entire theme of the Bible in one word, it would be mission. And we're going to unpack that for the next four to six weeks and talk about it and see what it means practically to live on mission with God as well. But it all has to start with the right view of God and a life that's willing to risk for the mission of God. So I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be really good uh, for us. But I want to pray for us. And then there's three questions on your table there that you can discuss. And we'll give you about 10, 15 minutes to chat. And then I'll come back up and dismiss us tonight. Um, but let me pray for you. And then you guys can discuss. Okay. Father, we thank you so much for, for just the fact that you are so rich, so generous. Or not in the fact that you just, just want to give us a bunch of money and comfort and a nice car and a house. Or you care about our physical needs, but you care so much more about our spiritual needs, Father. You know what we really need more than we need, just comfort and ease and maybe you know, prosperity in that sense in life, that you really want us to prosper in our souls, or you want us to be shaped more and more, not just into a, uh, a more wealthy person, but instead you want us to be shaped and molded more into the image of Jesus, and to be shaped and molded to be a person that's marked by the gospel, that's known as a follower of Christ. And Lord, you are so good to us. You are rich in love. You are generous in grace. And I pray as we begin this semester, we can remind ourselves of who you are and let our reflection on you, let our knowledge and our perspective on you drive us to live differently this semester, drive me to live differently this semester, to see the great need on our campus, to see the great need in this city and in our world, and to be reminded who you are and your heart for us to live boldly for your glory to live as risk-takers for the gospel, to live as risk-takers so we can really display the identity and security that we have in you that is foundational, that can never be taken away from us. So I pray for these students this semester, or that they would be reminded or and really daily be drawn into worship, worship of you for your goodness, for your glory, and that that would compel them or to want to live different for you, to make a difference in the lives of those around them, or to maybe even live in a way that doesn't make sense to the world. It makes sense to those around them, but it makes complete sense in terms of your kingdom and what really matters in light of eternity. So I pray you would guide this discussion and that you use it for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.